This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. I, um, if, if you are a guest with us today, I just want to let you know that you're um, stepping into something that we've been in for, for quite a while. Um, we're in a series that's kind of part of a bigger series that's been, been going on. And so um, just to kind of orient you um, to what's been happening, we've been in this series, especially in this, uh, we just, we know this, we, we say it, we continue to say it, like the season that we've been in and we've experienced over the course of this past year, year, two years, has just been so much upheaval. And so one of the things that felt like it was really important for us is to come back to say like, who are, who are we? Like, what has God called us to? What are some of the most basic things about identity? And one of the things that I find to be true um, in whether I'm sitting with somebody across from somebody in counseling or just in my own life or, or just in a faith community, our ability to come to understand and know ourselves makes a huge difference in the way that we live things out in this world. And so throughout this series, we've been taking a time to come to understand a little bit of that. And so we did start this at, in, back in the early in the fall, um, talking about Jesus and recognizing who he is. And we started to unpack some of the things that Jesus had to say about himself so we can gain a grasp of what God has to say about God. And then we went a little further to start to say, well, if God is who he says he is, who are you and I as individuals? Like, how does that change us? At the point that we say yes to Jesus, he comes into our hearts and our lives. Does that make a difference? Does that change our identity at all? And if so, what ways? And so then we're picking up this conversation by starting into this new series where we're talking about not just who you are as individuals, but, but who we are collectively. Like, who are we as we come together? Who are we meant to be in society and as a people? You see, we're called to be the best version that God has created us to be. He's called us and is moving us and telling us this is a way that you're meant to live. This is who you're meant to be, not just individually, but as a faith community as well. And so it seems important for us to have some understanding about what that means and what that looks like. Uh, a few years ago, um, we in, in Paulsburg finally launched um, the great uh, flag football league. Uh, maybe many, some of your sons were a part of that. And, and uh, when they first launched it, there weren't too many teams that were a part of the whole thing. Um, we were just getting going, and in the league that my son was in, he was excited. He had never really played football in any organized way, and uh, this was his opportunity to, to, to get going on it. And so uh, he joined up, signed up in sixth grade, and uh, it, was, it was great. He, he showed up to the team, and um, I thought, okay, well, maybe as Ethan joins the team, you know, he'll jump on the team, and the guys will kind of catch him up to speed on how the whole game goes and how everything's going. We, we played, you know, we threw passes in the backyard, that kind of thing, but never really organized. And so I drop him off, and, and after kind of watching a few practices, um, I found myself saying, um, as I looked at the team, and Coach, you want a little help? Because... Um, clearly, um, these guys need some more than what you can bring. And so, um, I, I, as I joined and I got to do some assistant coaching, I just found myself, this is kind of the level where they're at. I'm like, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to put it here. He's going to say hi, you're going to go that way. And I'm gonna, I mean, that's, that's the level where everybody on the team was basically at. And these are sixth graders. And so that's my son's team. And uh, because there wasn't many teams in the league at the very beginning, uh, they kind of had to combine some of the grades. And there was this team that our team had to go up against over and over and over again. And these were a bunch of eighth graders. 
And they weren't just eighth graders. This was like the eighth grade football team from Paulsville Middle School, all just like elite, like they're elite players all coming together. Now, for some of you, you're like, sixth grade, eighth grade, what's the big deal? I don't remember that time. It makes a huge difference, sixth grade to eighth grade. Like you may not, it's, it's huge. I mean, like the sixth grader, he goes, hike. The eighth grader's going, hike. You know, like something happens between those two years. You know what I'm saying? Like, a whole lot happens in those two years. If does that kind of ring a bell now? I mean, this is what my son was up against. And I mean, they would just, the other team would just demolish his team every time. It got to the point where the team, like they get to halftime and they're just like, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to we're just going to give you some of our players and you can have, we'll take some of yours and we'll just kind of mix it up from this point because we're not even going to keep score. Let's, let's just call this thing. And so my son, he would get so excited when he would get on their team. He's like, yes. And so he would get on their team and their quarterback, I mean, just dial him in. Ethan's catching pass. He's like, dad, did you see the catch I made? And I'm like, am I supposed to be excited for you? You're like, you're scoring on my team. So <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how to deal with that. But there was something. When he got on that team, he was so excited to be a part of it. There was something about being a part of that that they were just known for. How every time they st- walked on the field, offensive, they were, they were excellent. Defense, they were excellent. And they were just like something to be a part of. He loved it. He wanted to be a part of that. And they were known for that. And that's really the essence. I don't know if you know this, but we're called to be something as well. There's something that we're meant to be known for. Jesus makes it really clear. I don't know, again, because we've been in so much stuff that's been happening in our world, I, don't, I wonder when was the last time you pulled back to just to ask the question, what are we meant to be known for? Like, who are we to be when we come together as a people? When the world is outside looking at us, how will they even know that we're followers of Jesus? Like, is there, is there something that we should be doing, a way that we should be living that would help us know that, help them know that? But Jesus makes it very, very clear. There's a moment where he is going to be leaving his disciples, and he knows that he, this is some of his final moments with them. And as he's sitting there having this conversation with them, he lets them know in the midst of it, he says these words. He says, if you want to know what it's going to look like for people to know, it's your love for one another that will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now, if you're new to the Bible, uh, maybe you're just kind of checking out this whole faith thing, this whole Christian thing, and you're trying to work your way through it all. Uh, One of the things that I would encourage you to do sometime is as you read, sometimes take notice of what's not said. I mean, think about it. This is Jesus' last moment. He could have said anything, right? But, But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, your ability to say all the right doctrines is how the world will know that you're my disciples. Notice that he didn't say, your track record for going to church will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He didn't say, you're voting for the right candidate. That will be the thing that proves you're my disciple. He could have, but he didn't. Now, all those things matter. All those things are important. But at least it seems to be that in Jesus' final moments with his disciples, he came to determine that there was something more important than those things. And out of all the things that he could have brought up in that moment, he points them to this. He says, it's your love for one another that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's your love for one another, for one another. 
You see, this isn't an argument to say that we aren't called to love the world. If you've been with us throughout these past few weeks, you know that, that we've taken time to talk about, hey, you as a people, you are the salt, you are the light of the world. So there is this calling to love the world, but Jesus is saying something particular in this moment. What it is saying is that when we love each other well, we show the world something that can only be done by the sovereignty of Jesus. I mean, think about it. What other institution, what other community of people can come together from so many different ethnic backgrounds, from so many different personalities, from so many different social places in life, and all come together and choose to love one another, and I mean really love one another in the way that God has called us to. No other entity can do that. And the reason it can't happen is because it requires a spirit of God living within a person to pull that off. You see, we can, people can kind of give a, a pseudo version of it, and really as society continues to move further away from God, they're trying to figure out how to do it. And they get glimpses of it, but this sustaining love that we're going to be talking about this morning, they can't pull it off because it requires the Spirit of God. So at the point that you said yes to Jesus, His Spirit came inside of you, you came alive, and now you have the ability to do something that this world cannot do. And that is to love in a way that has this love that we're going to talk about in just a moment. Enduring in that way. We get to do that together. And when we do, it's beautiful. When we do, it's something that people want to be a part of. When we do, people actually want to leave their team and join our team. But it requires for us to be committed to loving one another and loving one another well. John says it in this way. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a do you see what the word is there? It's a liar. Dang, John. <laughs> For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? You see, the scriptures put such a high value on our ability to love one another well, really just to love well in general. We've got to be able to do this well. Paul is writing to these people of Corinth, and these people of Corinth, they're steeped in a world with so much idolatry and so much stuff going on, and here's this faith community that's come together, and he's trying to help them understand these are the things that matter. Here's how you're to live in light of all that's going on. Let me help you, Corinthian church, and we can take that because the same thing is called for us today. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, Paul, if you know anything about this guy, he suffered much, he offered so much, but he understood this. If love was not a part of the equation, if love was not the driving force of it all, he loses. We don't gain a thing. You see, this love has a, peculiar, a particular look to it. 
And I know that for many of the guys in the room and online right now, this is the kind of part where you start to check out, right? Because I'm talking about the ishy, squishy love thing, all these feelings. Like, who wants to deal with feelings, right? And it's sort of like you keep reading all the stuff about John, and he just keeps bringing up love over and over and over again. It's like, love? Give me some man stuff. And here's the deal. If you find yourself in that place as I continue to talk about love, what I want to suggest is this, that you, just like so many others, have bought into this world's very narrow view of love. You see, we swim in waters so much that we don't recognize that we're caught up in a current that just kind of moves us along. And unless we're willing to pull back and, and come to understand more, we just get swept up in it. And if that's all that love is, I would say, of course, I understand why you would not want to have more of this conversation. But here's the deal. Did you know that in the New Testament, when you see this word love, and it comes up over and over again, did you know that when it was written in the original Greek, that there were four different ways that love was talked about? I, that blew my mind when I heard that for the first time. Like, that changed my whole perspective on the whole thing. And as I kind of started to think about it, I mean, that, that started to make sense. I mean, we kind of have this one word in, in English that says love, but Greeks, when they were writing, they, they, they had different thoughts that were going on. This, the authors of Scripture, they, they understood this. And it made sense to me. I started to think about, like, when I was in, when I was in junior high and in high school, um, I used to do something. Anybody ever pass notes in class? Anyone? Yes, okay, two. I see, I see that hand. Maybe those of you online. The rest of you, you were all Christians and you just love Jesus, so you didn't do that, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so, so for some of you passing notes, so you might not know what that is. This is, we used to have something called paper in classes, <laughs> and we didn't just kind of pull out our phone and text and just, and just send a note. What we actually had to do, and for those of you who are Christians at that time who didn't do this kind of thing, I'll let you in on it too. What we used to do is we would take out a piece of paper, and we would write a note on it, and we would fold it up into all these intricate ways, and we would get it done. And once we, once we get done, we'd pass it to the person in front and say, like, hey, pass this along. And it would be the person's name on the front. And you always hope, like, don't read it. Like, pass it on, right? Like, get it. To, you better not read that. Get it to the person that says in there. We pass these things in class. You know what I'm talking about? You pass them, pass them along. You pass the notes back and forth, right? And I learned early on that, that when, you, when I'm signing off on these things, it's important how I sign off, right? I mean, I can't just put love Mario at the end of the note. Because that can mean all sorts of things. So I had to, like, augment, you know, love you like a bro. Love ya. Well, if I just wanted to be really clear, best friends for life. There you go. Just want to define this relationship really clearly. This is where we're at. We're just friends. Just want just pass on a note, right? So it was this idea that we had to have some nuance. And the authors of scripture understood this. The Greek people understood this. There's some nuance to love. But in our Bibles, we only see the word love. And so we can get caught up in, in a misunderstanding of what love is. Now, let me ask you something. When you look at the advertising that goes on in our world, when you look at the movies and see what's being presented there as love, when you listen to the songs of our day and age and you hear love being talked about, I wonder what kind of love that would, you would say there is. But let me define them real quick. There's one that's called eros. Eros is the type of love you see in scripture. 
Eros is where we would get the word erotic. It's a sexual kind of love that we talk about and we hear so often. Then there's a second one called storge. And this one was new for me. I hadn't heard this before. This refers to familial love, like between a mom and a baby. That kind of love, storge. And then there's a third kind of love called philia. And that kind of love is a love that's often between uh, friends. We would call that a platonic relationship. There's that kind of love in the Bible as well. And then there's a fourth kind of love that we see in the New Testament. And it's called agape. Agape. Agape is this unconditional, benevolent, and charitable love that seeks the best for the loved one. Agape love. This is an unconditional, benevolent, and charitable love that seeks the best for the loved one. Hmm. If you're a person who likes to take screenshots, or maybe you're online just want to like click it real quick, this, this is the, the one you want to get. This is good stuff right here. So as you look at the advertising, as you think about the movies, as you think about the music, I ask you, what kind of love would you say is represented in our world today? What's the kind of love that we hear about and see that really defines and drives all the narrative and conversation that we talk about? That limited, narrow version. Well, I have a second question. When Jesus was with his disciples that evening, and he was sitting with them, and he's saying, it's your love for one another that will determine whether people know that you're my disciples or not. Let me ask you, which version of love was Jesus speaking of? What Greek word was used there? Because we're very aware that our world is driven by this eros, this erotic kind of love. It seeps and permeates everything that we come up against. But if you were there in that day and you heard Jesus, he would be talking about this kind of love. It would say something more like this. Your agape for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your erotic love. Not even your philia love. It's your agape love for one another. Your unconditional, your benevolent love towards another person. That's the kind of love disciples you are meant to have for one another. That's what we are meant to live out together with one another. That's the thing that starts to define. You heard me say earlier on that, hey, there's something that only the faith community of God can actually bring to the world. It's only that kind of love. And maybe you went like, wait a minute, but there's plenty of people who don't know Jesus who love well. It's like, of course, of course. But agape love, as a faith community, as a whole, no one else, because it requires the Spirit of God for us to live this out well. It's your agape love. You see, the reason why this conversation is so important because the world that we live in, and even some versions of what we would call a progressive version of Christianity, have bought into this idea that love is simply relegated to eros. 
And so we often hear things like, eh, I don't know that I really like that in the Bible. It doesn't feel good. Okay, well, if that's the way that you're going to process your world, you're going to run up against a whole lot of problems because not everything in the Bible feels good. It doesn't necessarily resonate within. But love isn't relegated to just how something feels. Love requires a whole lot more. And that's why I think Paul, as he's speaking to the people of Corinth, he has to start to unpack this a little bit more. Because if it's just left with love, these people might be confused. So Paul goes through painstaking detail to start to define. You want to know what this agape love is? You want to know what this love is that we're meant to live together? Here's what it looks like. It's patient and it's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It always is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecies and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, all of those will become useless. But love? Love goes on and on and on and on. When you die, it continues because love lasts forever. This gets us closer to the kind of love that Jesus was talking about with the disciples that day. Because you see, agape love can never just be something that stays in our minds. It can never just stay as a good idea. Agape love requires action. It requires movement. Agape love requires that we get out of the seats on behalf of other people. One commentator says it this way. He says, knowing the truth about Jesus is vital, but so also is the believer's love for one another. This love is not sentimental, but real self-sacrificing love by which they place other believers' needs above their own. Listen to how he ends this. Lovelessness among believers nullifies their witness to the world and reveals them as hypocrites. Ouch. Lovelessness. When we choose not to love one another, it nullifies our ability to show the world who Jesus is and reveal as hypocrites. We say we love, but we don't do it. John is writing, and he kind of brings the same idea up. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our, what's the word? By our actions. By our actions. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. You see, it's this love and action that makes the difference. But here's the rub. This agape love, it's costly. This agape love will cost you. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your money. It will cost you your comfort. It will cost you your security. And here's what I know. 
that we live in a season where all of those things are things that get harder and harder to give up. But that evening where Jesus was sharing those words, that evening where Jesus found himself on a spot where he was sitting with his disciples and he's telling them, it's your love for one another that's going to make a difference. Do you know what he did earlier on that evening? Scripture lets us know that as he gathered with the disciples before a meal, he took off his robe, he grabbed some water, and he started to wash their feet. He said, this is what it looks like. Go and do the same. And later on, when the disciples ended up deserting Jesus, and he went and he died on a cross for their sins and for ours, If you want to know what agape love looks like in its fullest form, you don't have to look any further than the cross. It's on the cross that we come to understand fully what agape love looks like. That this God died for you and he died for me. And I know as we sit in this season with so much upheaval, with so much that's taken place, to talk about cost, to talk about our security being, being uprooted, to talk about our comfort being uprooted. It's like we don't want any more of that to happen. And yet, if you said yes to Jesus, I don't know what to tell you. He's called you to a place in which you have to give those things up for his namesake. And so here's the deal. As we move into a darker and darker time, a darker and darker season, a darker and darker world. My question is this, what kind of people will we be as we live out this this faith? Who will we be known for? You see, we have an opportunity right here, right now, to be a certain kind of peculiar people in this world that God has called us to be. Each and every single one of us have a decision to make about whether we're choosing to lean into that or not. And so this morning, as we take time to respond, the invitation is that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Some questions that I have for us this morning. Do you have any relationships with fellow believers that need repair? And if so, what's your role in that? I wonder if some of us, have you found yourself in a spot where with all that's gone on, the first place you move to is anger, frustration, rage. And as a result, really not representing Jesus all that well, what is it that God needs to do in you? You know, I wonder for some of us with this season that's taken place, it has removed so much of us being in in community. I mean, you can be sitting beside people, but you live in isolation. I know that for so many during this pandemic, we've just pulled away from from people. Now, how can we even love each other well if we're not in community with one another? So maybe for you, as you've pulled away, you're just hearing the Spirit just telling you, move back. Step back into relationship. We have ways that we can do that. We have ways that we can provide. You may have your own, but we offer one. And numbers coming up underneath me. And maybe for you, part of your response is just to text in the word groups so that you can find a group to be a part of to live this out. Learn what it means to do that together. Some of us, maybe you're here on, are online and you've never even 
been able to be in a spot where you could offer that agape love to somebody else because you've never received it yourself. You never said yes to Jesus. And yet you hear about this love that's not just the kind of love that this world has to offer, but you're hearing about a love that was willing to sacrifice for you. And you're saying, I want in. I want a relationship with that kind of Jesus. Now I get it. Now I understand. And you're saying yes. And if that's you, today is your day. Today is your day. I want to pray for you. So all across this room, I'm going to invite us to a place of prayer. Online, I invite us to a place of prayer that we would open our, our hearts to the Spirit of God and allow Him to do the work that only He can do. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are so good in the way that you speak to our hearts, that you challenge us and that you call us. And Lord, as we come together as a faith community, gathered in person and online, we hear your calling over us to be a certain kind of people. And Lord, some of us are in a spot where we are confessing to you, confessing to you that in our hearts we move so quickly to anger and to rage we don't represent you well. We ask for your forgiveness. Some of us, Lord, as you survey our hearts, you're bringing up people in our lives that need to experience agape love. Some of us, God, we have broken relationships because of some of the choices that we have made and we hear you speaking to us about what we need to do. I pray your courage over your people fresh and anew to do the things that you've called us to do, to be the people of God that you call us to be. Grant us the courage and the strength to do it. Lord, and I pray for those that are in a spot where their heart is open to you for the first time. They're saying, Lord, I need you. Come into my heart right now, right now. Today is the day. This is my moment. I'm saying yes to you. And if that's you, I just invite you to join me in this prayer. It says, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life and be my Lord. Be my Savior and be my God. This, the love of this world, it just it continues to fail me over and over and over again. But you, your love, I choose you right here and right now. So come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Be my God. In this moment, I choose you. If you're praying that prayer, know that Jesus is saying yes to you right now. He is filling your heart. The Spirit of God is moving into you right here and right now. It's a beautiful thing. And Jesus, we thank you for that work. We thank you for those that are saying yes to you. And God, I pray over this faith community that you would help us all to move in a direction so that the world would say, look at those guys. Look at that people. I want to be a part of that. Help us to live in that way for your kingdom and for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name.